Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon. And today I'm joined by Ann Gary, who's joining us for the second time on the Revenue Builders Podcast. Ann is currently a skilled sales consultant and trainer with more than 20 years of experience in direct sales, sales leadership, sales development, and sales operations. John Kaplan and I both worked with Ann when she was at PTC during the startup years, and she helped grow the company to over a $10 billion market cap. Ann is super smart. In fact, she's the only person I've known to turn down a full-ride scholarship to both Stanford University and MIT. Today, Anne spends her time working with companies and leadership teams, helping them improve their sales performance by focusing on critical sales fundamentals. So today, Anne and I discuss a key aspect of understanding during the sales process, recognizing the difference between a coach and a champion. And last time we had you on as a guest on the Revenue Builders podcast, we spent some time discussing the role champions play in the sales process. Today, let's discuss one of the most common mistakes salespeople make when selling, not understanding the difference between a coach and a champion. So what happens is they spend too much time with a coach, in many cases, exhausting a sales process and losing a potential sale with a coach instead of taking the time to find a champion to help them through the sales process and win additional business. You know, that's so true. Many reps tend to hang on to coaches throughout the entire sales process and really with the hope that they could become a champion. And unfortunately, what I see is you get lured into this false sense of complacency by a real nice friendship with a coach. And all along, what you know that the problem that occurs is that your competition is developing a champion while you're still sitting with a coach. So I think that's yeah. one of the things that we need to really you know discuss today. Yeah, I think you're right. What happens is a lot of salespeople are measured on activity. So what happens is they, it's like how many emails did you send? How many calls did you make? So they're measured on that. So then they just go into an account. They made the call. They got the meeting. But they got it and then they hang on, as you said, to the friendship that they made with a potential coach, but they're not really going and getting wide in the account and high in the account to go ahead and find a champion. So it's it's the number one mistake people make, confusing a coach with a champion or just, as you're saying, you know, making the mistake of believing that a coach will somehow rise to the occasion and become a champion. You know, but why is that, that they they just hope that the coach is going to become a champion? I think sometimes it's because people really don't know what they're looking for. And even if they might know what they're looking for, they don't take the time to develop and test a champion as well. But I think right now we're going to focus on the differences between them. Yeah, yeah. So let's discuss what a salesperson should look for. You know, but before we do that, why don't we just go back a little bit and define what a champion is? 
So a common definition that I've heard many times is a champion is somebody that has power and influence in the organization. And that power and influence of the champion gives them access to the economic buyer. And as most salespeople understand, the reason reps want to get to the economic buyer is because the economic buyer has discretionary use of the funds. Mm -hmm. This is really important because I think a lot of reps have been trained that the economic buyer is the ultimate person to say yes, but say yes to what? And I, I really that really resonates with me with regards to discretionary use of funds. You know, several times um, you've been an economic buyer in your life, and I think it would be really interesting for you to talk about what does it mean to have access and control over you know, discretionary use of funds? Yeah. So what I mean is that the economic buyer has total discretion over the budget, meaning, you know, they have the power and the control to manipulate the budget. So they can change the priorities of the budget based upon the changing needs of the business. So let's say in the beginning of the year, they they uh, had budgeted for 10,000 Apple laptops, but now they can decide to not buy the 10,000 Apple laptops, but buy $5 million worth of software instead, if they believe it's in the best interest of the company to buy the software to pursue the strategic initiatives of the company. Makes sense. So can we go a little deeper on that? Because I think there's a confusion around, do they own the budget? Do they have discretion over the budget? Do they approve the budget? I think it'd be excellent if we could really dig a little deeper into that one as well. Well, it's really both. You know, the economic buyer has total control over the budget to achieve the goals that they're measured on. So to be more specific, they own the budget and they have the discretionary control over any changes to the budget. Okay, so can you give us an example, having been in this role several times? <laughs> okay, so as a CRO, my job was to maximize the bookings for the company, right? So to maximize bookings, I stayed focused on maximizing the overall productivity of the sales force. So in the beginning of the year, let's say I had a budget for salespeople and also sales and marketing tools. Now, if we go down a level in the budget, what would it look like? It would look like I had planned to hire a certain amount of BDRs, a certain amount of inside sales reps, enterprise sales reps, sales leaders, and application engineers. And, you know, that I had budgeted, let's say, X dollars for sales tools and Y dollars for marketing tools and so on. Now, if during the year, the head of my sales ops told me that there was a tool that could increase the productivity of the inside sales reps, but it was more than my budget for sales tools, I had the discretion to use the entire budget for sales tools, some of the budget for marketing tools, and maybe even some of the budget for additional salespeople. And why did I do that? Well, if I thought that my BDRs were going to be a lot more productive, maybe I wouldn't need as many instead of maybe hiring 30 throughout the year. Maybe now if they're going to be more productive, I might only hire 22 or 23 of them. So mm -hmm. I had the discretion over the budget to make those types of changes. And in that situation, do you think the VP of sales ops could have bought the tool on their own? No, because they didn't have the authority to manipulate the budget by spending, again, all of the sales tools dollars, some of the marketing tool dollars, and also to decide, you know, that I wasn't going to hire as many BDRs. So now, you know, what's interesting is from the perspective of the salesperson selling the sales productivity tools, it might have appeared that my VP of sales ops had power over the budget. 
But behind the scenes, the VP of sales ops didn't own and control the budget. They needed to gain my approval first. Now, an important point is that since I trusted my VP of sales ops, I didn't need to speak to the salesperson selling the productivity tool. In fact, I might have never met with the salesperson selling the productivity tool. So in the salesperson's world, they might have thought that my VP of sales ops was the economic buyer, when in reality, I was the economic buyer and the VP of sales ops was their champion. Does that make sense? It sure does. And I see this repeatedly and, and have seen it repeatedly over the years of doing opportunity coaching sessions, that this usually you know, becomes one of the issues that we run into. And we really start to figure out it's an issue, unfortunately, towards the end of the sales cycle, instead of qualifying this earlier. <laughs> Before right. we come to proof of value, proof of concept, whatever. So yeah, it makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Okay. And so let's go back to what a rep should be looking for when they're trying to find a champion. Well, for me, the obvious place to start is with an organization chart. And I just have to say, you know, of these opportunity reviews I do, I bet 98% of these opportunity reviews that I do, people do not have an organization chart. And that is absolutely, in my mind, the first place to start. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now that makes sense. But just to be clear, if they did have an org chart, what would the org chart actually tell them? Mm -hmm. Well, the org chart tells you the hierarchy of the organization, You know, the reporting structure, who reports to who, what the departments look like in the company. But most importantly, it shows the people with what I'll call positional authority. Right, right. Positional authority. So when you say positional authority, you mean people in managerial, you know, directorial and vice presidential roles, the leaders in the company that have authority simply based upon their position. Right. Mm -hmm. So so what won't an organization chart tell you? Well, actually, one of the most important things that it won't tell you is who really has influence. You may see somebody at, you know, an executive level, but they could be retiring. And frankly, their, their influence might not be that high in, in that case. So it's really important to not only understand the organization chart in terms of the authority structure, right, but also to understand more of the influence that these people have so that you understand who can make an impact on decisions, who can actually control or alter decisions, for example, let's say, um, influencing decision criteria, et cetera. Okay. But what is it that gives these people, you know, influence over decisions in an organization? Yeah, I've typically seen that there's two factors associated with this. One is they have strong internal political power. And why is that? The reason they do is that they've made impact and the person that they're actually working with trusts them because they know that they've actually, you know, had impact on the organization, positive impact on the organization, and they understand how to work in an organization and be collaborative with people and, and drive towards, you know, a decision that's in the best interest of the company. The other thing I find is that you can see a lot of people with strong technical expertise. So they're really SMEs, subject matter experts with regards mm -hmm. to the particular, particular decision that someone's trying to make. And a lot of times people will go to them because they honestly don't have that kind of knowledge. They haven't been, you know, in the in the uh, bowels of the company are kind of executing on the things that need to be done. So those are the two kinds of uh, factors that I typically see. Okay. So that's interesting. In other words, just because somebody has positional authority in a company, meaning that they show up on the organization chart, we can't automatically conclude that they 
have power in the organization over a potential decision to buy our software. They certainly have some power, just not the power to influence the decision during our sales process. And more importantly, they may not have any influence to sway a decision with the economic buyer when the EB is making a key purchase selection regarding our software. Mm-hmm. That's right. That right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So, you know, with that in mind, really the first thing to do in terms of thinking about finding a champion is to uncover the people in the organization that have this influence. And that's why we call it the power chart, you know, the influencer power chart. And I'm typically looking for people who are associated with change because they don't put people in positions of helping change organizations that they haven't seen again in the past that they've had the ability to do that. So that's one way to to basically identify if there's influence as a starting point. Okay, so just to give a little more clarity to what you mean by the power chart, what you're saying is that typically it's some change agents that you've seen in your experience. So it could be somebody that's in charge of a strategic initiative um, assigned by the C, some C-level executive, the CIO, the CEO, the CRO. Um, it could be somebody you know, on a, on critical projects. It's those types of people that you're referring to as change agents that could be on the power chart. Exactly. Exactly. Because a lot of sales reps come to me and they say, well, how do I know? How do I identify someone? I say, well, remember champion and change. Start with the CH. Look for change. Likely you're going to find, if it's not a champion, you'll find the breadcrumb trail to the champion based on what you were just talking about. Okay, that's really good, Ann. But just to clarify a little deeper for the audience, I think it's really important for salespeople to understand that the people on the power chart, they can reside at any level, even many different levels of an organization chart. They don't have to be very high up in an organization. To your point earlier, maybe there's a business champion that's up higher and a technical champion that's down lower in the organization. So what we're really saying is true influence over a political uh, potential decision is independent of the standing in the hierarchy. Definitely. In fact, I think that, you know, there's been many situations where someone lower in the organization, which you might have considered not in an authority position, was able to make a lot of influence. Again, going back to that subject matter expert, the person trusted them and knew that they had the company's best interest in mind. So I think that people get confused and think, oh, I always have to attach myself to somebody higher in the organization. And that's good, right, to be able to do that. But you also can't neglect that people lower in the organization can actually help quite a bit if they are connected into that power chart. Right. So the the best, it makes the most sense to try to target people who have both influence and authority, meaning that they show up on both the arc chart and the power chart, right? Then we know we have a real champion. But let me ask you this. Have you found in the majority of cases that there's a distinction between a business champion and a technical champion? Definitely. So if you think about business champions, those are the people who really have strong business acumen. They're asking you questions relative to you know, the positive business outcomes they're trying to achieve. You know, Sometimes they actually have technical prowess as well. But they're very much associated or are interested in articulating you know, the, the business needs and what the uh, positive business outcomes will be. The people with that I'll call technical champions, again, are like the folks we talked about. They have subject, subject matter expertise, you know, deep domain expertise, 
And if you're lucky, you have somebody who's a technical champion that also understands and, and connects to that, you know, that business, uh, the, the positive business outcomes as well. But I think you have to make sure that you may have different people in those roles and not right. to confused by leaving off typically the business champion that you need. Right. I've seen it many times where you have a high level business champion will understand the implications that the product will have on business outcomes, but may not fully understand all the details of the technology. So they naturally seek the advice of a technical champion to thoroughly evaluate the solution from a technical standpoint before they'll completely endorse the solution. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting too, when it comes to buying for a company, an economic buyer commonly consults with lots of different people. We know, you know, getting to the collective yes, is is a major point now. You think about all the people that can be involved in a in a buying process. And so they'll consult with people with both influence and authority, but they'll also just consult with people as well and or with people with influence from different perspectives. It might be um, security. You know, I'm going to actually talk to someone in security because they actually are subject matter expert in that, but they may not be high on the on the organization chart. So they're going to go after the different types of information they need right? To be able to make a good decision. Right. I sometimes think of it as like, you know, it's seven o'clock at night, there's a key decision to be made. And the C-level person, the economic buyer in this case, may not go looking just for the people, you know, on that floor. So they basically are going down, you know, a couple levels to find the person that they know really understands how this impacts a business outcome. And the people that they know, have the technical expertise to, you know, give them insight on this decision. And they consult with these people because their expertise and credibility on past decisions has helped them develop a reputation with the economic buyer. And that relationship, that credibility has allowed them to maintain influence and gives them access in the future to economic buyer on future critical decisions. So another way to think about that access is that access to the economic buyer's power. That's what we're talking about when we talk about power, the power to be able to access the economic buyer. And that's power within the company. But there are also other critical reasons to get to a champion, right? Right, Anne? Oh, there's so many. I mean, there's there's so many reasons to have someone, you know, selling on your behalf and having that power and influence. But if we talk about just a few of them here, obviously controlling the the decision process. I think you've talked about this before that you really know you're in control when you have a champion, right? That's that's selling on your behalf, helping you control the decision criteria in terms of influence. And I've been in plenty of situations where people have not really understood, you know, the force ranking of decision criteria. And then, you know, somebody like a, a competitor's champion gets involved and they're shifting, but you didn't know that they shifted because you didn't know that in the first place. So mm -hmm. your champion can help you with that. I think the other thing that I see very important lately is the metrics, both the technical and business metrics that are necessary to be able to justify the solution. So there's, there's many reasons that, you know, we need to make sure that we're aligning Again, well, first finding these champions, but making sure they have the influence within the organization. Okay. So having said that, I could get on a lot of different parts <laughs> of this conversation, but I guess we're we're supposed to be talking about the difference between a coach and a champion here. So. Right, right, right. So let's talk a little bit about a coach, right? Give us a little insight on that. Do we just well, leave them out of the sales process? What do we do? 
No. And I think, you know, I've had some incredibly valuable coaches and they, you know, a lot of times they want you to win. They want to give you inside information. Um, They'll coach you through the sales process. So I think it's important for you to spend time with them. It's not a waste of time. You just have to make sure, again, that you don't get lured into the sense of complacency, thinking that you have a champion when indeed you don't. So it's important to work with them. Yeah, it's like you said, they can coach you. They'll meet with you. They may understand the value of your product. They may give you inside information. They want you to win. They may even coach you during the sales process. What we're saying is the main difference is they're not going to be able to automatically overnight have that power to be able to access the economic buyer and have true influence on that decision inside that organization. That's the main difference. Exactly. And so, well, go ahead. Well, it's okay. So are there any other specific indicators reps should look for when they initially meet with a potential champion? Like, how do you get a, how do you feel for that when you're first meeting with a potential champion or coach? So this is really important. When you're first introduced to someone, I'm listening very carefully for the language they use. You know, what is what is their view of the world? And typically a coach in, in the world that we're talking about here looks through the eyes of product fit and they're looking through the eyes of technology. And so often they'll ask you many questions relative to technology. But if you start doing discovery to try and understand what's the fit between the technology and the business problem they're trying to solve, often they can't go down the road of that conversation because they haven't thought about it themselves or they aren't maybe privy to some of that information. So that's one indicator to me. Now it might just be, you know, the first few conversations we have, that's what it is, but continue to test for that because if the conversation continually goes down that road, you have a pretty good indication that um, you're either developing a technical champion that doesn't have the business prowess that you need or you really have somebody with subject matter expertise that's just going to remain your coach. Right. So they may understand how the product can solve, you know, what might be a big problem for them, but it's a really small problem for the business. And businesses can live with many, many, many small problems, right? They sure can. I mean, if you think about so many of the situations I've been in, they, um, you know, we've done POCs or benchmarks or whatever it is. And you become you know, the, the winner or the, you're, you're validated as a solution and it doesn't go anywhere because there isn't that tight connection to the initiatives or the you know, business problems that they're trying to solve right now. Okay. So on the other side, champions and business champions, as you said, you know, they look through the large eyes of business fit, you know, the lens of large business problems. I like to think of it as addressing issues, what I call above the noise. Like I said earlier, Businesses have hundreds, sometimes thousands of problems, right? Uh, many of which they can live with because it doesn't have a direct impact on the major factors of the business. Um, so potential champions, what they're doing is they're thinking in terms of business outcomes and they're looking at business problems that are really above the noise, right? And they start to ask you questions and they speak in business terms because they're trying to solve substantial business problems. Exactly. And and this is the reason that people need to be listening for that. And we also need to ask discovery questions where the answers would be more related to the business problems. I mean, if we continue to ask technical questions, 
we're not likely to be able to understand that, right? Does a person yeah. understand it? So I'll give you a, a great story about myself. I'll uh, I'd love to hear a story. Tell me a story. <laughs> I'll, I'll fall on some of my. I hope it's a story, not a fairy tale, right? Okay. No, this is unfortunately a story. So right. <laughs> that that turned out well. So the um, when I was selling at uh, PTC years ago with you, I I actually was an engineer by training, and I was so excited. I'm you know, going to all these calls, and I'm actually asking all these great questions, and I'm really impressed with myself because I can get into the technology, and I can you know, hold my own with regards to some of these these developers or these uh, engineers. Well. Several times, I we again we won the technical validation. We won. The, we called them benchmarks in those days. So we won the benchmark, and I just couldn't understand why didn't they go forward? Well, they right. didn't go forward because I wasn't speaking the business language, and it took me you know a couple of years to really get in tune with that. I think that what was the the line that uh, the first two products to market capture eighty five percent of the market share? That so was once a McKinsey I, study, yeah, McKinsey right. study. Remember that? So yeah, sure. once I understood that one, I'm like, oh, maybe I should be actually attaching to total time to market or cycle time reduction, et cetera. So that's just a great kind of indicator of me falling in my own trap because of my understanding to uh, to get into the technology and, and then eventually realizing I had to elevate my story. Well, it's also that's why you weren't finding champions, right? I mean, right. forget about getting to the highest levels of the organization. Once you get up there and you're starting to talk only in technical details, you'll get relegated down to who you sound like. But to your point, you're not going to find a champion who's under, trying to understand how do I take this technology and put it into a large business outcome if you if you also are never speaking in business terms and business yeah. outcomes. That's exactly it. And that's why, you know, people sometimes push back on asking more business oriented discovery questions. And I'm like, well, that's that's your indicator, right? That's your way of understanding. Well, so, Anne, if you had to break it down and simplify it, then what's the major difference? You can only pick like one thing. What's the major difference between a coach and a champion? Okay. So after working with Lots of coaches and champions over the year. Uh, this is my opinion on this. I think coaches provide information like we talked about, and they're valuable to get information from, but they often don't take appropriate action on your behalf because we talk about selling on your behalf as part of it, and they're not doing that. Champions always take action that is helpful for your cause or making sure you win the business. Yeah. And, you know, in my experience, when I've had a champion versus just a coach and no champion, because of what you said earlier, where they help you control the decision criteria, control the decision process, the sales process has moved from being very unpredictable to being very predictable. And that's how I know when I have a champion, because they are taking action to your to your point, and they're making it they're in lockstep with you. So you're not, you're not surprised anymore. If you go walking into a sales process, <laughs> you've been calling on the account for months and you're always surprised at what came up. Chances are you have a coach. You don't have a champion, right? Great indicator for sure. Yeah. So let's dig a little deeper on the differences between a coach and a champion. So while both the coach and the champion provide information, as you said, about the company, coach you during a sale and even have an interest in your winning, that's where the similarities stop, right? Right. I think that, you know, the big three areas that I think about, and again, there's more, but 
especially in the earlier stages of the sales cycle, if you have a champion, again, they're going to help you with the decision criteria, prioritize your differentiators, right? And the decision criteria, they're going to help you with the decision process in terms of the who, what, when is going to occur. And, and you're getting that, that collective yes. And again, most importantly is really identifying the metrics. I mean, many companies that we call on, they don't actually, not that we call them, but our clients call on, they don't actually know what the metrics should be. They mm-hmm. haven't really thought about it. So when you think about having a, a relationship with a champion, you can have those discussions so that they know what technical metrics should they be actually measuring in the, the proof of concept or proof of value, whatever you want to call it, and also helping you put together the business metrics you know, that are necessary to, uh, to do the cost justification. So going back, it's that's why it's so important to understand both the org chart at a minimum, the org chart, but let's also talk about, you know, the, the power chart and the influence. Yeah. I think one other thing um, that people need to understand is that a coach, as we explained, cannot be a champion, but a champion could also be a coach and a coach can't be a champion because they don't influence others and they don't have the power to access the economic buyers we explained before, but a champion could also be a coach because they can coach you, give you inside information, and then again, help you control the sales process. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is a topic I'd like to talk about as well. And, and I think a lot of people forget this is that an economic buyer needs to have a champion or multiple champions within yes. their organization. And why? Because they really need to de-risk, right, the the implementation. And if they don't have people that are within their organization making sure that this is going to go successfully, then they're not going to achieve those those great business outcomes or what you might call the 2B, right, that that they're looking for. So not only do we need a champion, but they do. So if you think about we're helping them, the economic buyer, develop those champions by providing them with the knowledge they need to be able to do a good job of that. Right. And that's why the light bulb should go off for salespeople where they say, like, why do I have to have a champion? You have to have a champion because the economic buyer that's going to spend a lot of money for your product, they need a champion internally to make sure that the implementation is successful. And you also need one to get a good reference account, potentially upsell, cross-sell any account. And the other thing on champions that a lot of people forget is they think, okay, I got a champion and they're helping me out. but is your champion stronger than the competition's champion? So I've always tried to imagine when my champion goes into an internal meeting and I'm not in the account, you know, is my champion stronger than the competition's champion? If they got into an internal dispute, you know, who would win? Oh, I love that point. In fact, um, we spend a lot of time on this as well. We're talking about champions. I think often we're thinking about our own champion, but we're not thinking about the competition's champion. How long has the competition been in the account? You know, they right. might be incumbent, right? Yeah. So they have all these people that that they actually have connections with. And I, I love your idea of, you know, sit and think, okay, if they actually are in a meeting and you're, you're, you know, you're a fly on the wall watching this, who is actually going to win? Because it goes back to who has more power and influence in the situation. Right, right. And you got to imagine, like, if you think you're in that meeting, if you think your champion's going to lose, it's time to find another champion that has more, more power than the competition's champion, or go ahead and get, you know, multiple champions. So it's a salesperson's job to ensure that, you know, we educate and prepare champions as much as possible before they go into those meetings, because 
they're going to find the traps and objections that have been set by the competition when they go into a meeting to discuss our solution. And if you don't prepare them, you may not have a champion. The champion might go in that meeting and get blindsided by, you know, the competition's champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always say this too. It's, you know, the people that we call and it's not like they're, they're selling every day. It's not their position to sell. Therefore, right. we have to do a good job of preparing them with the knowledge that they'll need to be able to do a good job. Even, you know, one thing I've talked about with a lot of people is role playing with your champions so that you prepare them to be able to go in and have these conversations. It's not like they're not phenomenal and they might be incredibly talented. They just haven't been in the role, right, of having to right. do this. And so, so a and lot maybe, of times they think they don't need your help. So sometimes, you know, you'll say, well, maybe we should role plays or talk about this meeting that you're going to go into. No, I don't need any help. Well, okay, let me ask you one question. And you <laughs> ask them a question, they can't answer it. And you go, this is why we need to talk about it. Cause you're going to get hit with that question and five others I have that you probably can't answer. Oh, so that's... you might want to, we might want to think about talking about it before you go in that meeting. Yeah, that's really good. You mentioned something else that's important too is, you know, we get in this opportunity coaching session, people are like, well, this is my champion and this is how I know and this is what I've done to you know, identify, develop and test them. And then I say, and, and who are the other champions? Oh, well, I have, I've done it with this one person. So, you know, I, I think it's important. Our, you know, sales reps, our positions are difficult, but we have to be thinking about how do we continue to open the aperture and develop multiple champions um, especially higher in the organization, as we just talked about. Exactly. And so that was a really interesting discussion about uh, the difference between coaches and champions. I've, I've enjoyed that. You know, we didn't dig into the specifics of that on our last uh, podcast. So thanks for having me. And I, that was I, good. Uh, and really good. And hopefully it. many in our audience will benefit from it. And thanks again to everyone for listening to another episode of the revenue builders podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.